my father sent me a story this week, which you'll hear in a moment about, well, in part, it's about naming me. And in the story, he'll tell you about how my name almost was Harry Bernard. I spent a little bit of time wondering yesterday about what my life would be like if my name was Harry Bernard. It's definitely a name with a different feel from Harris Bard. And I can't help but wonder if that would have affected my personality. Names are so interesting that way. It's uh, it's like they they sort of are just there to uh, to reference things. They're there so that you can say, you know, hey, you don't just have to say, hey, you, all the time. You know, you can call someone by their name. But they also have a power beyond that. They have a history. They have a feeling. They can even influence careers or at least, you know, sort of coincide uh, with careers. I remember being very amused in middle school that I had a kitchen teacher named Miss Cook and a PE teacher named Mr. Ball. Harry Bernard seems to me like a sort of funny guy name, you know? I think that if I had been born Harry Bernard, maybe I would have been a comedian. I'm not. Really, I'm not not that funny. I mean, I have a little bit of humor, but uh, it's mostly a sort of subdued, quiet humor. Though I'm also biased in my interpretation of the name, because the name Harry comes from my grandfather, whom I never met myself, but I was always told that he was a really funny guy. So names have histories, they have feelings, and they have power. And that's what we're going to talk about this week on the second page. This is the second page, a radio show of stories hosted by me, Harris Bard Laparoff, not Harry Bernard Laparoff, and this week's theme is names. You're listening to The Second Page on WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. Our first story this hour, from my father, Jerry Laparoff. My great-aunt Wilma called it a panic. My mom and dad had determined that the baby would be Harris, if a boy, and Holly, if a girl. Harris made sense, since it was the same as Harrison, son of Harry, my dad's name. And the name for my potential baby brother following a corruption of the Jewish tradition, had to start with an H, since the person after whom he would have been named was my grandfather, Hyman, who had died two years earlier. I assume that my parents were not going to name a child of any gender Hyman, even though the name means life. Hyman had reached its peak of popularity in 1911, and it was now 1954. But Aunt Wilma called, 
because the baby was a girl and because the middle name chosen for the girl was Mara after my mom's mom, Minnie. In 1954, you would not name anyone Minnie unless it was your pet mouse. You can't name her Holly Mara, Wilma asserted. My mom was nonplussed. Why, she asked. It means Holy Mary, Wilma went on. There was a momentary panic. Then what should I name her, my mom asked. Now Aunt Wilma was a maven when it came to names. In the 30s, she had named one of her own sons Mortimer, which means Dead Sea. Name her Hortense, Wilma opined. Whereas holly is a tree popular at Christmas time, Hortense is from the Latin meaning gardener. But that's not the worst thing about it. That would have to be the sound. So it was case closed. The original botanical name was chosen. And Mara actually means bitter. So I don't know where Aunt Wilma was actually coming from in terms of her interpretation. In my youth and early adulthood, my own experience of naming was restricted to pets. There was the tortoise, Skippy, that my mom's cousin had brought from a preserve on Long Island, and who I named after his behavior when I put a piece of banana on the kitchen floor and he had to commute rather rapidly from another room. And then there were my two cats when I lived in an apartment in North Oakland, Germaine, named for Germaine Greer, and Norman, named for Norman Mailer. Germaine and Norman got on fabulously. And I thought that would be the end of it. But like so many of my generation, I was given to afterthoughts. So at the age of 41, I was about to become a father for the first time. And even though my spouse was Chinese, we opted to follow the Jewish traditions and name our son for his two grandfathers, Harry and Bing, short for Bing Kwan. My own offering was Harry Bernard. A debate ensued on each. To her, Harry was a name that she intensely disliked. And Bernard, she said, that's just Bernie. So what, I thought. My two great-grandfathers were Bernhardt and Bernhardt, respectively. And two of my favorite people were Bernie's. There was my theater professor and directorial collaborator, Bernie Barrow, who in his life as an actor had adopted a slew of other more familiar names like Louis Slavinsky on Loving and Johnny Ryan on Ryan's Hope for 13 years. And then there was my good friend Bernie, whose absence caused by a job at the Coney Island Carvel stand threatened having a quorum at steering committee meetings when we followed up at Brooklyn College in our own free speech movement in 1965. Bernie was actually my naming hero, having named his own kids after his favorite French movies, Sibel for Sundays with Sibel and Andre for My Dinner with Andre. 
Obstructed, I tried to deviate as little as possible from my original proposal, though I did at one point suggest Bing as a middle name. Nothing doing. I must admit surprise when the name Harris passed muster, since I was reasonably sure that the lad would end up being called by the nickname Harry for the rest of his life, an incorrect assumption as it turned out. We actually had to go to the baby naming book to find Bard, which, given the sound resemblance to Bernard and the meaning, poet, was absolutely acceptable to this English teacher. Whether it had anything to do with the fact that that the recipient's first publication ended up being in a book of love poems by teenagers or in his turning down acceptance to a college with the same name, I will never know. In the end, things were no better with naming my daughter, whose names were going to honor her maternal grandmother, Moon, which in Chinese does not refer to a celestial body, and my Aunt Thelma. The mom was stuck on the name Megan. And as much as I insisted that we were at the peak of a Megan craze, that there would be five or six Megans per classroom, causing a huge amount of identity displeasure, that Megan didn't sound right with our last name, that we would have to change things to make it Megan Olaparoff, she would not desist. This time, when with deference to Frank Zappa, I suggested just using the name Moon, I was met with a grimace. We scoured the books. Marissa, Melissa, Marina. Nothing seemed right. I don't know why. I even suggested a variant method of naming, using the meaning of moon, Celine. But an agreement was reached, finally, on Mariah, which means star of the sea in Latin which turns out to be Mariah's field of study. And then there's Mariah with a different spelling, the mountain range, which was the site of the sacrifice of Isaac, to mention yet another name. I have to admit that choosing the middle name Tess had nothing to do with it being the rain and the same lyric that plagued my daughter in primary school. They call the wind Mariah. It had to do with economy of syllables. What's in a name? Based on my experience, if it isn't Hortense, it's probably serendipity. Thanks to my father, Jerry Laparoff, for that story. Jerry lives in Berkeley, California, with far too many of my old knickknacks cluttering up his house. It's true that my name never led to me being called Harry, but uh, I have had to suffer through many years of people mistaking me for Harrison. So, just to put this out there on the record, my name is Harris not Harrison. There's no O-N at the end. And I'm the only Harris who I have met in my life who is not a Harrison. 
I actually did used to have a few friends who went by Harris, but their names were actually Harrison. I was the only Harris I had ever met who was a real Harris and not a Harrison, and I used to think that made me kind of special. And while it's true what my dad says, that my first and only appearance in a printed book is in a poetry anthology, I think one of my favorite things about my name is when I explain to people that my parents named me Bard because they wanted me to be a poet, they often ask, well, did they succeed? And I just say, I'm not sure. You're listening to The Second Page on WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. Our next story, from Hillary Carter. It was the summer I turned 16, and I had still never kissed a boy. Fortunately, I was at nerd camp, meaning a voluntary summer school for gifted youth. During the school year, I stood out as weird, awkward, and smart enough to be threatening to the boys. But here, on a college campus, I had found my people. We lip-synced to Tom Lehrer songs and watched Star Crash ironically. A lot of people went by strange names. There was one guy everybody called Snail. I don't remember why. And there was a guy who insisted his real, actual name was Nimrod. But I had developed a crush on a guy we called Ron. His real name was Edward, but for some reason he went by Ron. Maybe it was a Harry Potter thing. He was a nerd like the rest of us. He had dark, mischievous eyes and enjoyed talking in funny voices. He was not unlike other guys I'd had a crush on. Smart, great sense of humor occasional troublemaker, but he was the first guy I'd ever liked who didn't think I was a loser, or at least had never said so. He might tease me, but in a way that I found myself laughing with him. I thought, maybe this was my first real chance for romance. I confessed my crush to my roommate, Anne-Marie. She got excited and asked if it was okay to tell our mutual friend, who could help set me up with Ron. This girl had flaming red hair and wore a headband with bunny ears over it, all the time. Her real name was Megan, but she insisted that everyone call her Galactica Bunny Ears. So if you were still wondering how nerdy this camp was, pretty darn nerdy. Galactica seemed sympathetic to my crush, but she sighed. I really want to help you, but you have to flirt more, she told me gently. I don't really know how. I'm kind of embarrassed, I said. Well, you know, you could start by talking to him more and finding little excuses to touch him. I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. You know, like in a friendly, flirty way. I'm just really awkward, Galactica. I'll try to help you, but 
you have to try to get over it and help yourself a little bit. The next time all of us were hanging out with him, when he made a joke, I tried to come up with a witty comeback. It wasn't that great, but he laughed appreciatively. Maybe I could do this after all. But another time, we were all hanging out in the common room, and Ron ended up with Galactica and Anne-Marie sitting on either side of him on the couch, half cuddling with him and telling him how adorable he was. I blamed myself for hesitating as I stood off to the side self-consciously and tried to at least keep up the conversation. With her head resting on his shoulder, Galactica shot an exasperated glare at me, obviously wanting me to get my head in the game and get in on the action. But what was I supposed to do? The night before my 16th birthday, I found myself lamenting that I had not so much as slow dance with a boy, and how pathetic was that when I was almost 16? Galactica pounced on this opportunity. Ron, she barked and grabbed him, pushing him towards me playfully. You have to help her. She's almost 16 and hasn't danced with a boy. Our arms found each other and we froze, both of us a little taken by surprise. We swayed uneasily for a minute while our friends laughed, and then we broke apart. I blushed and noticed Galactica rolling her eyes at my timidity again. Ron was grinning at me, though. I hadn't repulsed him after all. Maybe he'd even liked touching me. There was a dance that weekend, like every weekend. The night of the dance, I found myself standing in a bathroom stall, thumping bass leaking through the wall as I was freaking out and trying to psych myself up to just go and ask him to dance for real already. I have to get over it and help myself. Determined, I pushed the stall door open and checked my reflection in the mirror. Hopefully he liked blue. I was wearing a lot of it. I left the bathroom and found my friends on the dance floor. Ron was with them, and we all danced to some fast songs. Ron hemming up his white guy dance moves, which calmed my nerves a bit. When a slow song came on, I took a deep breath, stepped up to him, touched his shoulder gently, and said into his ear, do you want to dance? He said, sure. I've been racking my brain and YouTube to try to remember what song it was. I'm pretty sure I don't have it written down anywhere. It was something like, My whole life has changed. I want to stand with you on a mountain. This I promise you, I just want you to know who I am. Something like that. It seems like it's the kind of thing I should remember. I don't think I managed to look him in the eye much while we were dancing. And it's good that it was dark because I know I was blushing furiously. His hands on my waist made me feel all warm inside. And I just couldn't believe that a boy was actually touching me and it wasn't to poke me to make his friends laugh. When the song was over, I slowly let go. Was I supposed to do something now? Say thank you? He disappeared while I hesitated. But I had done it. I found Anne-Marie just outside the dance hall. I asked Ron to dance and he said yes! I did it! She squealed and hugged me. You go, girl! 
Where is he now? I looked around. I didn't see him anywhere. I don't know, but I did it. High five. I drank some water because I was still a little lightheaded. Then I was about to head back in to dance when Galactica stopped me. Hillary, I need to tell you something. I got excited. Maybe Ron had told her that he liked me back. I did it, Galactica. I asked him to dance. Did you see us dancing? Yeah. Hillary, Ron just told me he liked me. And, well, I like him too. I'm so sorry. I, I thought I was over it when I started trying to set you up. And I know I'm a horrible person, but I really want to do this. She meant she wanted to date him for the week left of camp we had. Oh, it's okay. I'm so sorry, Hillary. Galactica made a face. It's okay, Galactica. Really. And then I went to the bathroom, locked myself in a stall, and cried for a while. Fortunately, I only had to watch the two of them holding hands and snuggling for a week. I'd walk by them lying on the quad. He would stroke her bunny ears, and I'd want to vomit a little bit. I'm ten years older now, and although I can't recall the song we danced to, and it took me a minute to remember Ron's name, even... Galacticus came back instantly. At the time, I jealously wondered if I had made up a weird name for myself and wore some weird fashion accessory, if that would have made him like me more. I know Galactica stands out in my memory because I felt a little bit betrayed. But also, I think it was just the first inkling I had that confidence really had something to do with navigating this boy thing. I may have been among a bunch of geeks and nerds that summer, but at 16 I was still more awkward and shy than most of them. Changing my name wouldn't have changed that. Everything is new again, walking with the permigrant head so high. I'm back with you and all is right. Hillary Carter, Oberlin class of 2009, is a former writer for the Dead Here Footsteps and the Semi-Automatic Players. She now resides in Columbia, Missouri. A worn-out shirt that's soiled with dirt but fits me like a glove. Our next story is from Naomi Mordek-Taubman. I share my bed with a largish teddy bear named Sleeping Bag. His name can be confusing for people who don't know him, especially when I sleep in a sleeping bag with Sleeping Bag. For those of us who know that Sleeping Bag is a bear, this is more entertaining than confusing. The lack of an article in front of the bear's name makes the distinction clear, just like you might say, my mom, no caps, when talking about your mother, but call her mom, first M capitalized, when addressing her. Sleeping Bag is also not my first belonging to bear that name. 
My baby blanket, which started life as a child's sleeping bag, is generally referred to as SB, short, of course, for sleeping bag. But this is not the story of SB. This is the story of sleeping bag and how he got his name. When I was little, I had just one bear, Pooh, yellow with a red shirt and a funny nose. I was jealous, though, of how my cousin Becca had a cute teddy bear, and I wanted one, too. So my grandmother got me a fluffy white teddy bear that was probably half the size of me at the time. I named her Snowflake, carried her around for a little while, then relegated her to the small collection of animals around my bed. A few years later, I found Snowflake again and somehow had forgotten Snowflake's pronouns. At that time, the pronoun problem was avoided by referring to Snowflake without using any pronouns. Snowflake was coming along on vacations now, and at some point, probably in Maine in wintertime, it came up that Snowflake was not really fond of the cold, and preferred to be in warm, cuddly places. And what's warm? A sleeping bag. So Snowflake took the name Sleeping Bag. The bear formerly known as Snowflake, and now known as Sleeping Bag, still did not have preferred pronouns until Sleeping Bag started wearing my aviator sunglasses and looking pretty masculine in them. Sleeping Bag now uses the pronouns he, him, and his, and enjoys occasional confusion with his friend, my Sleeping Bag. That story was from Naomi Mordek Taubman. Naomi is a third year math major at Oberlin College. Our next story from Mayan Plout. During my junior and senior years at Oberlin College, I was an academic ambassador, which meant a super cool upperclassman student who was willing and able to usher first years around during their first overwhelming week at Oberlin. My junior year was my first year as an academic ambassador. I was assigned about 25 students and was required to help them out during one or two advising sessions and eat lunch with them and generally just be of assistance. Now, as an academic ambassador, I had a name tag, and a name tag is a wonderful thing, even if your name is incredibly hard to pronounce. People are more willing to come up to you and talk to you, or will at least take a stab at your name, even if you don't know it. However, as an academic ambassador, I was expected to remember as many names as possible, and it wasn't just the 25 students that I was interacting with, it was also any student who wanted to ask me a question. So I love answering questions. This is a totally dandy situation for me, with the exception of the fact that without name tags, I was continually at a loss as to who I was talking to. I can recognize faces easily, but after meeting dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of people over the three or four incredibly packed orientation days, I just couldn't remember anymore. So I met great folks. I remembered maybe one or two of their names, But I had that buffer of, it's overwhelming. It's okay. I'll ask your name the next time I see you and interact with you. You can do this for a week after you meet somebody, maybe two or three. But once you hit a month, you can't really ask someone their name anymore. 
which caused a little bit of a problem. Every single time I left my shifts from Wilder Hall, I would always run into the same student who I interacted with during that first week. And this student would always smile at me and wave and say, hello, Mayan, how are you doing? And the kind and wonderful person that I like to think that I am would respond, I'm doing great, and how are you? Conveniently avoiding the name part of this scenario. Because, unfortunately, I had forgotten this student's name, although they had remembered mine. This continued on for several months. We would see each other every couple days. We would wave, we would smile, we would ask how the other one was doing. The whole time with me skirting the issue of this person's name. So I regaled my friends with this tale perhaps four months, five, six months into uh, 2008, and they started to come up with possible workarounds or solutions for me. And the first one that came up was actually the one that I latched onto. Just give this student a nickname, a nickname that anybody could have. Something simple or convenient or relatively nondescript. My friends proposed shoes. Okay, I could name this kid shoes. In my head, that was fine. Out loud, I would figure out some way to make it work. Fast forward 16 hours later. I'm in the common area of Mud Library, and I am with... A, another group of friends, one of whom was outside with me earlier uh, for the name discussion in question, and my friend Gray walks in. Now, Gray is one of the most amenable people you will ever meet. He's always kind. He's always smiling. He's always really enthusiastic and very, very happy to meet new people. So we start talking, and behind Gray, the student who had always said my name and asked me how I was doing walked in behind us. And I immediately cut the conversation with Gray Short and I was like, great, I absolutely need your help right now. There is a student who just walked into the library that has been talking to me this whole semester. I can't remember his name. I really want to because we've had some great exchanges, but I feel like a complete idiot because I don't remember this kid's name. Will you help me? And Gray's like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. I can totally do that. So Gray turns around and as the student starts walking past us, Gray says, hey, you have really excellent shoes. And we both look down, and the student is wearing purple shoes with, like, green and orange squiggles on them. They're clearly completely excellent shoes. And the student smiles at Gray and says, yeah, aren't they great? And goes off on, like, a 10 to 20-second soliloquy on how great these shoes are, where they originated, and how delightful they actually are. The student finishes this thought says, well, I have to go study now, and disappears. Gray and I do not learn the student's name. I am still at a complete loss. It is clear that this student's name will forever be shoes for whatever reason, though now it is completely justified. About three months later, I learned this student's name by seeing him in a theater production, and his name was listed in the program because I knew his face, and I connected him with the face finally. So, my dear friend, who you will never know the name of, will always be known to you as Shoes.
Cloud is Oberlin class of 2010. Her motto of the year is be a human. Our next story this hour was composed and edited by Zoe Madonna. What is really in the name? Although there's maybe some names that could immediately call to mind elegance or a destiny for success or dignity or the bubbly cheerleader types of teen movies in the late 90s. The truth is, names are very subjective. If you say one name that you would definitely name future child or would love to know someone with that name just because it's so cool. For the next person, it may call to mind a friend who threw sand in their face on the playground or the girlfriend who dumped them and then and threw their clothes out the window. However, there are some names out there that for most people will call to mind the same thing. And I ended up with one of them for my second boyfriend. His name was Buck. Now, I know what you're thinking. You've heard that probably in Kill Bill. My name is Buck and I came here to word that I can't say on the air. But this one didn't seem to fit that name at all. He was from Redwood City, California. He could recite more Gilbert and Sullivan songs than I could. And he could definitely rock a top hat. He also knew how to waltz. He taught me how, even though I was still walking with a cane at the time. I met him at writing camp the summer before my senior year. He was one of nine guys at the camp to about 40 girls. And against all odds, considering my horrible relationship luck, I ended up going out with him for the duration of the session. And I also ended up on the receiving end of a lot of jokes about his name. My campmates didn't really think it was a desirable name, and they showed it. My roommate would make fun of me. Moan it out. Her girlfriend would be sitting right by her, laughing. And I'd try and laugh it off too. But truth be told, I wasn't a big fan of his name either. Well, I don't know if I ever got over it. Maybe it was the fact that my friends wouldn't leave me alone about it. Or him alone. I think that he was used to it because he took it in stride. And anyway, he was the one bearing the name itself. I mean, Buck had to be on my list of my top 10 least favorite names for guys, if I had ever made that list, which I hadn't and I still haven't to this day. Don't really plan to. 
Anyway, a few years later, we were talking, we've kept in touch a bit, and I asked him why had his parents named him Buck. And he said that Buck actually wasn't the name on his birth certificate. He had named himself that after a Zydeco musician, Buckwheat Zydeco. He had been obsessed with Buckwheat Zydeco's children's album, Choo Choo Boogaloo, when he was about six years old. By some insane coincidence, this had also been the same album that my cousins and I would listen to and dance to and run around to every time we visited my grandma's house in the same year, 2,500 miles away from where Buck was discovering this. And we bonded over that for a few minutes. He had loved it so much that he had dispensed with his real name and started calling himself Buck. And the name had just stuck. And no one had called him by his real name since he was about seven years old. Unless it was a teacher on the first day of class who would be quickly corrected. He told me what his real name was. It's, I won't tell you what it is, but it was on my list of my top 10 favorite names for guys if I had made it, which I hadn't, and still haven't, don't plan to. It's a name that I would very easily give to myself, were I to have one. And I wondered, would things have gone differently in our relationship if I had known him by his real name instead of as Buck? Maybe. I really don't know. Zoe Madonna is a second-year East Asian Studies major. Most people know her as the girl with the accordion and the ridiculous coat. Listening to the second page on WOBC. I'm Harris Laparoff. We're here live in the studio with a few people who are going to tell some stories live. Our first story from Ness Smith Zavdoff. I usually begin this story by saying that I wasn't born Ness, but that's not entirely true for two reasons. One, the name's really been with me since the beginning, just unspoken, hidden, tucked away into my initials. And two, I'm still that same person since when I was born, just older, with more experience and looking forward to getting even more. But my birth certificate does say Nathan. That was my name, Nathan Eli Smith Savadoff. And whenever my mom wanted to call me in from the field, I would get to hear all of that yelled, 
softly from the porch, Nathan Eli Smith Savadoff, and I would come running. To this day, if she's in the other end of the house and is trying to get my attention, that's what she'll shout because Nathan has more syllables than Ness. And so, like a good hockey player's name, can really ring for a longer period of time. So that's who I was. I was Nathan. Nathan became Tauntaun. Tauntaun became Tenton Tauntaun when I got older and bigger. And that's who I was until about 13. And all of a sudden, I wanted a nickname. And that was when my, fist, my sister first pointed out that if I looked at my initials, N-E-S-S, I could just use that. Ness. I could be Ness. I could be the Loch Ness Monster. I could be Elliot Ness, who took down Al Capone. I could even be a video game character who I hadn't really heard of at the time, but that's the reference I get most commonly these days. Oh, and do you play Super Smash Brothers? Have you heard of Earthbound? Yes. Yes, I have. But I am not that Ness. I am, I am my own Ness. At 13, we moved, and I went away to summer camp. And my mother recommended that I introduce myself as Ness on that first day because, hey... It was first impressions. No one would question. I could test it for three weeks, and then when I returned and went to my new school, I could decide if I liked it or not. So for three weeks that summer, I was Ness. They were three great weeks. It was summer camp. I went swimming. I went hiking. There were arts and crafts. I don't really remember Ness being part of those three weeks, but when I left, that's who I was. I started school that's that fall and only introduced myself as Ness to new teachers, to new friends. Three years later in high school, when I turned 16, I hadn't been called Nathan once in three years. My grandparents had made the switch. Friends and family had made the switch. And my bar mitzvah, when friends spoke, they not only recognized but respected my new name. And friends pointed out that in Hebrew... It means miracle. Ness, the video game, the monster, the detective, miracle. It seemed like a name too good to be true when I had almost lucked into. So at 16, I changed it legally. Before SATs kicked in, before college applications, bank accounts, etc. I got a new passport, and that was it. Now, five years from then, I'm 21. I'm still Ness, and it's a decision that I've never looked back on with regret. I figured there would be some moment, some moment doing something, maybe on the radio when I'd think to myself, you know, Nathan might have been a better name for this situation. But it hasn't happened yet, and I honestly don't think it will. I realized recently that I've been Ness for a shorter period of time than I was Nathan. That switch won't happen until I'm 32. At that point, I will have been Ness for as long as I was Nathan. That will be an interesting day, but I don't think it will be that big a day because I'm so fully Ness right now. So if you're listening to this and you're thinking about changing your name, know that it's easy, know that it's a positive decision, and know that if you're slightly on the fence, you should think about it seriously because it might just be worth it.
That story was from Ness Smith-Savadoff. He is currently a junior at Oberlin College, and under that name, he performs with Gallimaufry. Our next story is from Bridget Flynn. So my name is Bridget Flynn. You know, the Irish name. I was named Bridget because my great-grandmother's name was Bridget. And I've always felt a real connection to my name, Bridget Flynn. You know, the Irish name. There's an Irish folk song named Ode to Bridget Flynn. So whenever I Google myself, that's one of the things that I would always see growing up. Bridget, the Irish spelling. Bridget means strong. And I've always felt like that was really appropriate for me. Even though when I was young, I would like to go by bridge. You know, no T. As I got older, though, I really felt becoming with my name. Bridget Flynn. Flynn, Irish. Bridget, Irish. Whenever people would ask how to spell my name, you know, the Irish way. I really felt connected to my heritage, even though I wasn't born in Ireland. My parents weren't born in Ireland. Although, when I went to Ireland, which I never thought I was going to be able to do, I was running in a field, hiking with my mom, and I got kind of strayed away um, as I was kind of playing with a stray dog. And my mother called out, Bridget. And in that moment, I really felt like I was one with my name, Bridget. Here I am in Ireland. My mom called my name, Bridget, the Irish name, in Ireland. It really made me connected to my heritage. Again, even though I wasn't born in Ireland, I really felt like I was Irish. So growing up, when we finally got a cat, I thought, well, I really feel connected to my name. I think this is the name I would choose for myself. Oh, well, it already is my name, so I guess I can't really decide now. But I can decide when we get a cat. What am I going to name it? I had about a million names chosen for if the cat was a girl. We were looking and looking. Anastasia, I thought. Anya, I thought. All the way through the alphabet, I had different names for a cat. But then we found a cat who was a boy. And I really loved this cat. So we got him, and I thought, oh no, I don't know what to name him now. He's, he's a boy. So we just started calling him different names, like Buddy, because he was our little buddy. So then, as I couldn't decide for a real name, I went with Buddy. Buddy, because he was my buddy. But then, because I have a middle name and a last name, we had to give him more than one name. So his name became Buddy Snow Flynn. Snow, because he's all white. And I would have named him Snow, or Snowy, because of Adventures of Tintin, there was a little dog who was very funny and brave, and his name was Snowy. But I didn't want to give my cat a name of someone else, so Buddy Snow Flynn. Although, as a kid, Buddy is not a very unique name, and I was concerned that my cat would have the same name as a dog, yet I named him Buddy.
Bridget Flynn is the Environmental Sustainability Fellow for Oberlin College. Our final story this hour is from Ada Hetko. Ada's name means beauty, superficial beauty. Growing up, <clears throat> ah, pardon, growing up, um, my family had this giant wooden spoon, probably three or four feet long, like as, as long as I was hanging on the wall. And this is why. Once a long time ago, there lived a miller and his daughter. And the miller didn't have very much money, and his daughter was getting older, and he wanted her to be married. So he started this rumor. He started telling everyone he knew, guess what, guess what? Well, I don't know. My daughter can spin straw into gold. Really? Really? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about that. But after a while, people started believing him. And the rumors spread and the rumors spread until the king heard. And the king sent his servant to the miller's house. The servant knocked on the door. Sir Miller, I, I heard that your daughter can spin straw into gold. Yes, that's true. The girl was in the room. She had no idea what they were talking about. Um, I, I think we'll... She's a national treasure. We need to take her to the palace. And the miller agreed, thinking that this would lead to a good, a good fortune for his daughter. His daughter, of course didn't know what to do but she got together the few things that she had she she put the necklace that her mother had given her before she died around her neck she put the one ring that her grandmother had given her around her finger and she left with the with the king's servant and when they came to the palace the king met her at the door and he brought her to a room, a decent-sized room, filled with straw. If you spin this straw into gold overnight, you live. If you don't, in the morning, off with your head. And then he left, and he left her all alone in this room full of straw, she started sneezing. She didn't even hear the door squeak because she was sneezing so much and her eyes were getting all puffy with an allergic reaction and in came a funny little man. Hello, my dear. He had long fingers and a long nose, and little gray eyes. Oh, hi. My dear, my dear, I have a, 
a, a bargain to make with you. What's this? What's this? I can spin all of this straw into gold for you in the morning, but there is a price. Oh, I'll give you anything. I'll give you anything. I just want to get out of here so I, don't, I can stop sneezing. Um, I, I, I have this ring. I'll give it to you. All right, all right. And he took the ring, and even though his fingers were so long and skinny, somehow he fit the ring onto a knuckle, and it stuck there. And he scuttled out of the room and came back in, and he had a he had a spinning wheel, and whir 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 whir. He spun all the straw into gold. And the girl was still sniveling a little, but as the, the straw was more and more gold, she stopped sneezing. And in the morning, the, the king came in. He was very happy, brought her to another room, this one twice the size. And again, he left her there. And again, she started sneezing. But this time, she didn't just start sneezing. She also started hiccuping. So in the middle of hiccuping and sneezing, the door opens, the little man comes in. My dear, my dear, I can help you. All right, all right, here, take my necklace. So he put the necklace around his chicken skinny neck, and he started spinning. And a few hours later, she stopped hiccuping. And a few hours later, she stopped sneezing. And again, he left. And by the time she woke up in the morning, he was gone and the king had already arrived and he'd already brought her into a room the size of Warner, Maine. So this is like a gymnasium full of straw. And this time there was so much straw that she wasn't just sneezing and hiccuping but she was also crying. And again, the little man comes in and he put his bony arm around her and his wrists clicked. And he said, my dear, I can help you one more time, but you have no jewelry left. She said, I could, I'll do anything, I'll do anything. Will you give me your firstborn child? Yes, 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 take it, take it. And so whir, 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 whir. he spun the straw into gold. She stopped crying. She stopped hiccuping. She stopped sneezing. And the king came in the morning. And he said, his eyes glistening with the reflection of the, the gymnasium full of gold, Ah, now I will make you my wife. And so there was a big party. The miller came, the miller's friends came, the ones who were the skeptics about the gold, and they were pretty impressed now. You know, it was a big party. Everybody got kind of drunk. Um, the wedding was, was all right for the, for the miller's daughter. Lots of fun for everybody else. A year passes, she has a baby. And one day, 
The little man comes into the room. My dear, it's time for it's time for me to take your child. Uh, no. But you promised. Mm, no, that was just a funny hiccup. I didn't say yes. I didn't agree at all. You heard me wrong. Well, I'm sure that I'm right, but I'll give you, I'll give you a chance. If you can guess my name, then you can keep your child. And with that, he sort of pranced out of the room, delighted that soon he'd be, be eating some, uh, some roast baby. <laughs> Harris is laughing at me. <laughs> so, so the girl didn't know what to do. What was she going to do? She, she sat there with the baby in her arms. They hadn't named the baby yet. Um, but the, she had the baby in her arms. Maybe she was thinking of, of naming the baby sleeping bag. I don't know. Or waiting for the baby to name itself. But um, her servant, who was very smart, decided to go looking for the funny little man and went up and down the countryside, up and down the countryside. And meanwhile, the girl went out and collected lists of names. She went all over Oberlin, Ohio. She went to Ann Arbor, Michigan. Um, she even might have gone up to Toronto. She got all these names. Some of them were French. Some of them weren't French. And when the day came for the man, for the funny little man to to come and take the baby, she still didn't know his name. But her servant, while going through the woods, had stumbled upon a strange sight. There, in a clearing, was the funny little man. And this is my favorite part of the story. He's riding a wooden spoon around the campfire. And he's singing. I brew my beer, I bake my bread, and soon the queen, queen's own son I'll claim. Oh, lucky me, cause no one knows that Rumpelstiltskin is my name. <laughs> and he's turning the ring around his finger in delight. And he's, he's twisting the necklace around his, his chicken skin neck in delight. And he's so excited. He's going to eat roast baby tonight with his bread and beer. And the servant goes, <gasps> Rumpelstiltskin. She, she writes it down on her hand with a pen. She guesses at the spelling and runs back to the palace and shows the, shows the queen what's scribbled on her hand. So when the little man came, the queen started reading him a list. Is your name Bridget Flynn? No. <laughs> Is your name... Harris Laparoff? No, it isn't. <laughs> Ness Smith-Savimoth? 
No. Naomi Murdoch Taubman? No. Wrong. Wrong is your name. Rumpelstiltskin. He was so mad. He was so mad that he threw the spoon out the window and started stomping on the ground so hard that it split open and there was a pit down to hell and he fell in. I spent so long just wandering For years I was adrift Directionless and wayward lost Like a swallow on a cliff But slowly I found purpose Thanks to Ada Hetko for that story. Ada Hetko, Oberlin class of 2013, makes art. Now where do I go from here? Cause I'm already there I'm already everywhere I'm already there I'm already everywhere That's all for this week's episode of The Second Page. We'll be back again next week on WOBC at the same time. Next week's theme is First Meetings. To listen to this week's episode again or to submit a story for next week, visit our website, makesomethingeveryday.com slash second page. Once again, that's makesomethingeveryday.com slash second page. You can also find us in the iTunes podcast directory by searching in iTunes for the second page. Thanks to all of our storytellers this week. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Hillary. Thanks, Mayan. Thanks, Naomi. Thanks, Zoe. Thanks, Ness, Bridget, and Ada for telling their stories live. A lot of the music that we've used... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Live radio. A lot of the music that we've used this week is released under Creative Commons license by their original artists, meaning that you can reuse the music and remix it in uh, any way you like. Um, please check these artists out. Some of the music we used this week was from Poddington Bear, Dot, Josh Woodward, among others. We also used some music from Zoe Keating with permission. Thanks to WOBC for putting me on the air, and thanks to you for listening. Next week at the same time, this has been The Second Page with Harris Laparoff. You're listening to WOBC 91.5 FM, Oberlin College and Community Radio. No one ever told me when the race is done The finish line's behind you And you have lost or you have won The crowd goes home and you're still